0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Brian Ford, and I have been attending First Baptist Church for the entirety of my 18-year life. And I am approaching the end of my time as a senior at Jefferson City High School. When I was younger, many adults used to tell me that as I got older, time would go by faster. But I never really understood what they meant until now. Today, I find myself nearing the end of my time as a high schooler, and the end of my time in Refuge, the youth ministry here at First Baptist. It seems like just yesterday, myself and the rest of the class of 2021 were so graciously welcomed with open arms into Refuge. For the past six years, Refuge has been a place where I could go to feel welcome and loved by people I have been so fortunate to call my friends. Time is something I've always had a difficult relationship with. I often fall victim to procrastination when working on an assignment for school, and I hate change. Although I understand that change is a natural part of life, it doesn't make it much easier to deal with. When I was 14 years old, my family's beloved dog, Louie, passed away, and I was crushed. I thought we had more time with him. Overwhelmed with sadness, I confided with my small group at Refuge and I don't think I've ever felt more loved and supported by my friends than in that moment. This pandemic has made me realize all of the things that I have taken for granted. Being able to fully participate in band competitions, being able to go on the usual youth trips, and being able to have a normal school year with normal activities. So much has changed in the past year, and time is something we can never get back. The good old days will never last forever, no matter how much we may want them to. In about six months, I will be leaving the town I've lived in my entire life and the friends and family who have been so lovingly supportive of me as I go off to the next chapter of my life at college. So what comes next for me? What does God have planned? Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I don't know where life is going to take me, but I know that God will help me get there somehow. But even then, in this new chapter, things will still change. Time will still pass. People and things that I love will will come and go, like the changing seasons. There are almost no guaranteed constants in life, except for God. Joshua 1.9 tells us, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and forever. As the next chapter of my life swiftly approaches, I find myself relying on these scripture verses for comfort. The Lord will always be there for us. I know that many of you who have much more life experience than I do at the age of 18 have an even greater understanding of how quickly time passes and how much life can really change. But this thing that I am experiencing is something that people of any age at any chapter of life can relate to. So I hope that these verses can provide you comfort as well. This life may be temporary, but our love for God and his love for us are forever. Thank you.
1: Good morning, guys. My name is Max. And my name's Katrina. I hope everyone is having a good morning. This morning, we are
2: going to be talking about prayer and how sometimes it's difficult to pray.
1: I know. I find it hard to pray sometimes. Same with me. Sometimes when a pastor
2: or an adult is using big words that are sometimes hard to understand, it makes me feel nervous to pray myself because I sometimes don't know those big words.
1: It can be especially scary when you're in a big group of people. Sometimes we feel that if we don't use big words, God won't listen or understand what we have to say.
2: However, you have to remember, no matter how you pray, God will always, always listen. No matter how, like no matter the words you use, no matter any of it. I remember when I was younger and I'd be at my grandparents' house my grandma would always say a short and simple prayer with me and I could add on my own parts and in the prayer or near the end it would always be something about how I was thankful for my day or praying for something that I was nervous about that week and then I would end it with a short prayer request like asking God to keep me and my family safe
1: prayer is just talking to God there's no right or wrong way to pray I know for me, whenever I am having a rough day, I pray to God and ask him to help tomorrow to be better. I always turn to God whenever I'm having a rough time as to comfort me and to help me feel safe.
2: Remember, a prayer is between you and God, so it will always be special no matter how you pray.
1: To help you guys remember what we talked about today, we have a verse for you guys. The verse says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen. Jeremiah twenty nine twelve. So as we leave here today,
2: I want you to remember that no matter how you pray, or what words you use, or how you go about it, God will always be there, and he will always, always, always listen to you, no matter what, and you can always count on him. So we're going to say a quick prayer here to end it off, so please bow your heads with me. Dear God, Thank you for letting us be able to come here today and get to teach these kids about your word, Um, and I pray that they will take what they have learned today and apply it to their prayer with you and their talking and their time with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
3: Hi, I'm Grace Craighead, and I'm a senior this year at Jefferson City High School. I've been an active member of First Baptist Church since I was very little. I've been nurtured in my faith by my parents in this church for as long as I can remember. Years ago, I read a book by Jenny Allen called Nothing to Prove, which I highly recommend reading. I had always wished for the courage to share this message, but I've never been as outspoken because it's a little bit controversial. You see, in an increasingly me world and a generation with instant gratification at its fingertips, it's easy to constantly compare yourself. I believe this practice has been in use way before the popularity of technology. Everyone compares themselves. We compare because there's a thirst that we can't quite quench. The enemy promises us water, but every time we go to his wells, they're empty. In Jeremiah 2.13, God explains clearly why we are still thirsty after turning to the devil's wells, saying, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jesus is the only way to truly fulfill our souls with his overflow of living water, which is mentioned in John 7. Exposing the lie that the enemy has the power to quench our desires is the first step in finding redemptive, filling peace. The second step is the hardest pill to swallow. This is where the world and gospel differ. This is where even some Christians have differing views. This is where we have to live in the truth that is this statement, I am not enough. In her book, Nothing to Prove, Allen writes, if I were your enemy, this is what I would do. Make you believe you need permission to lead. Make you believe you are helpless. Make you believe you are insignificant. Make you believe God wants your decorum and behavior. Make you numb and distract you from God's story. Attack your identity. Make you believe you had to prove yourself. Intoxicate you with the mission of God rather than God himself. Make you suffer. Okay, so think about these things and think about how the terrifying phrase, I am not enough, goes through our heads on a quite regular basis. Comparing ourselves is one of the top strategies of the enemy in order to get us in the headspace of simply not being enough. As youth, we hear it in the stories of Sam getting the better test score, of Ellie working out more, of not taking a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity out of fear of not deserving it. As adults, we hear it in the coworker getting the promotion, the neighbors getting a new luxury car, or the single mom still putting together a Bible study. The list goes on. Now, some of you may think I'm going to turn this into a sermon about being enough. But despite those possible assumptions and despite the world's view of enoughness, I am not. We've all seen the Pinterest quotes or murals or tattoos that say, I am enough, or you are enough. And yes, those typically bring people a lot of comfort. But in all honesty, they make me cringe a little because it's putting the idea into the world that we are enough all on our own. To me, that is false, temporary comfort, similar to going to the enemy for water. This worldly view of enoughness is simply not enough. The narrative most people believe, even most Christians believe, is all wrong. We have been rescued from a life of striving, from a life of comparison, from a life of constant thirst. God knew we would never be enough, so he became enough for us. Jesus is our enough. This may come as a disappointment for some, but it's actually the greatest mercy God has ever shown us. No one goes searching for water if they never thirst. To recognize our need for God is to find Him. And to find God allows us to accept the truth that we cannot save ourselves from the battle of being enough without Him. The relationship we have with Jesus is completely free to us. The only thing He requires of us is death. Death of our old selves, death of our pride, death of our thinking, we can do it on our own. At first, this will be difficult. But in doing this, we will find a life never before experienced we will find that we are not defined by our worst or by our best, but we are defined by our God. Two of my favorite bands, Elevation Worship and Maverick City, came out with a song recently named Gyra. In the back of my head, I'd always thought I might talk about the universal struggle with enoughness, but I never thought I would actually speak on it. I listened to the song as I was finalizing what I would talk on. And of course, the word enough is used 47 times. The Hebrew name for Jyra for God, literally means the Lord will provide. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm speaking about that. While this song did seem to reassure me that this daunting topic was indeed what God wanted me to talk on, it was an amazing song in general, so I highly recommend going and listening to it. So in conclusion, I will read from Jenny Allen's Devo from her book, which says, The world's message is simple. You are enough, all on your own. You are enough. But that mantra fails us either because we deep down know we aren't enough or because our self-esteem inflates us and we charge through life independent of God and other people. Either outcome leaves us lonely and disappointed. So, church, in order to avoid feeling either of those things, we must remind ourselves from scripture who we are in Christ. Jesus is our enough, so we don't have to be.
4: Hi, my name is Josh Pridmore, I am a senior at Southern Moon High School and I plan on attending Mizzou this fall. As an 18 year old, last year was really the first time that I've ever personally paid attention to an election. And while I actually didn't get to cast a vote for president as my birthday falls just a month after November 3rd, a lot of my friends were very excited to cast their first ballot. A lot of them even went as far to show their support as posting pictures of their favorite candidate or party on their social media. And looking at those political posts has led to what is now one of my most useless pastimes, scrolling through the comment sections of political posts. I always get just a little bit excited whenever I see that a comment has 10 or more replies because that always means there's an argument going down. And for some reason, I find it very entertaining to read as two complete and utter strangers go at each other from behind their computer screens. While I do my best to stay out of these online debates, I can't help but sometimes judge those involved, especially if we have differing viewpoints. Also, I'm consistently surprised with how passionate some people get defending a candidate that they've likely never met. Some of these online fights have gotten so nasty that they force me to reflect on just how divisive politics can be. And the line doesn't just stop there. Many areas of our life have the potential to divide us. Even seemingly unimportant things like sports can pit us against one another in a dangerous way. For an example, I don't know about the rest of you, but I was not feeling very loving towards Tom Brady after the Super Bowl a few months ago. The things that we choose to focus on and assign value in our lives have the power to take our minds off of things that we should be focusing on, like following God. This idea leads almost directly into Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 in which Paul states, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. With how chaotic our modern world it is, it is extremely hard to consistently set our hearts and minds on things above, like Paul advises. There is constantly something for each and every one of us to worry about, a major or sometimes even minor distraction that takes our eyes off of Jesus, and this is when we are most vulnerable to sin. Whether that takes the form of judging and sometimes even attacking others, like my example with politics, or maybe even just getting so angry at another driver when you're coming home from work that you let out an unloving phrase, we have to face these moments every day. Paul advises us to set our hearts and minds on things above because we have died to our old ways, and we are now hidden in Christ. But to truly die from our old selves, we also have to die to our old habits and actions that we used to live in. For me, that means spending less time in Instagram comment sections and more time praying or reading devotionals. So this week, I want to challenge all of us to be more critical of our actions and thoughts and try to cut out some of those things that distract us from setting our minds on things above. That way we can all be a part of the future that Paul lays out in verse 4 when he says that we will get to be with Christ in all of his glory on that day in the future that he appears again. Thank you.
3: Hi y'all, I'm Grafton Craighead and I'm a senior at Jefferson City High School. I will be attending Baylor University in the fall. To be completely honest, I struggled a lot more than I thought I would in preparing for this message. I am one who does not procrastinate on my work, but after I found out that I would be preaching, I simply had no idea what to talk about. Every day I was praying, God, give me something to share with my church, and every day I got nothing. In the middle of planning this sermon, I was feeling very distant from God because he was leading me into a storm that I was very weary of. I tore my ACL this summer playing basketball, and that was the greatest trial of my faith. I felt so alone and helpless because I am used to being active, and this injury completely took that away from me. I decided to try and rehab my knee and play my sports my senior year with the torn ACL. In months of rehab, I grew incredibly close to God as I saw him answer prayer after prayer in um, every good way. Uh, specifically, I asked him to make my decision to play golf and basketball worth it, and he blessed me beyond what I imagined by allowing me amazing experiences on great teams. He also um, protected my knee as I played my sports and continued to strengthen it. He fulfilled his promise in Ephesians 3.20 that says he is able to do immeasurably more than we ask for or imagine. I saw him bring me out of my worst storm, but now I am headed into what feels like a tsunami as I have surgery on my knee and prepare for rehab again. As I struggled to hear from God on this, on what to share, I stumbled on a Christian podcast titled Silence in the Storm. I began listening and immediately was like, okay, God, I understand now. So today, I am talking about embracing your storm, even when it feels like God is distant or silent. I want to look at a passage from Luke 8. It reads, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, "'Master, Master, we're going to drown.' He got up and rebuked the wind and raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. "'Where is your faith?' he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, "'Who is this?' He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him." I love this story because it shows that no matter what, Jesus is always in our boat. He experiences every wave, every raging wind that you and I experience. The story reminds us that God is still in control. In the first verse, Jesus calls his disciples and says to them that they are going to the other side of the lake. I love that he sets a goal for them and gives them a final destination. He is getting us to the other side of anxiety, depression, relational problems, debt, etc., because he is moving even when he is still silent. Don't allow a season of silence to rob us of seeing that our God is the most powerful he's ever been. He will flex in his good time. He will bring glory to his good name. He's doing something good in the meantime. God is shaping things that can't be shaped in our lives any other way. He's crumbling things that need to be broken that couldn't be crumbled except for a season like this. The end of this passage is particularly painful for me to realize how I am very much like the disciples in this story. As I prepared for the surgery and rehab, I found myself questioning God, doubting his plan for me, and relying on my own strength to get me through. Because I had had so much success with golf and basketball, I started to want to rely on my own power, but in reality, that success was all credited to God. When Jesus asked his disciples, where is your faith? What's going on? I, had, I felt a tug in my heart because he got me through this storm already, yet I was still reluctant to trust him to do it again. But now I am fully trusting him to do it again and make me victorious through him. So church, I don't know what storm you're facing today, or maybe you're where I was seven months ago and you feel very close to God. No matter how close to God you feel, I challenge you to not lose your faith and continue to trust him. Know that his plans are higher and he is an active God. He is with you even when he is silent. He will turn your fear into faith on the waves. Jesus shows up when you need him most, just like he did for his disciples on the boat. He is with you on the boat experiencing the same waves as you but he is not afraid because he knows he will get you to the other side. He is in complete control. I hope you will be encouraged by knowing that he's up to something good and he is still going to move. But in the meantime, don't miss out on what he is teaching you in your storm.